Gracious God, may only your words be spoken and your words be heard. Amen. As I've shared with you before, these beatitudes, these blessed are lines that we've just heard, really never made a lot of sense to me. And I think at least part of the reason is that at first hearing them, they don't sound like anything that any of us would aspire to. Blessed are you who are poor and hungry and weep. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. And in case we don't get the point at first, in Luke's gospel, unlike Matthew's gospel, we get a whole series of woes. Woe to you who are full now, who are laughing now, or when people speak well of you. Woe to me when I have a secure financial future, a full stomach, a light heart, and a good reputation. Aren't those good things? And if we're blessed when we don't have any of those things, are we really sure we want to be blessed? So let's be honest, the passage is challenging. It is a reminder to us that the Christian faith, as Jesus calls us to follow it, is a challenging and difficult faith. And in an effort to make sense of it, I'd like to offer a couple of things. One is about, excuse me, one is about the word blessed itself. And the second way to give it a little bit more understanding is the context in which Jesus is saying these things about who is blessed. First a bit about the word blessed. Remember that whenever we hear this word, we're hearing a translation. Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. And years after his death, as Christianity spread, Jesus' teachings were translated. In the major languages they were translated into were Greek and Latin, which was the official language of the Roman Empire. And in Latin, there is a term for the state or the condition that Jesus is describing here. And the term is beatitudo. Beatitudo is a state or a condition of being favored by God. And the best English translation I have seen of that concept would be something like this. Knowing that you have a special place in God's heart to experience life joy in God's favor, regardless of your outward conditions and free of the illusion that you can take care of yourself. Now, maybe that is something that you've tasted at some point in your life, even if it's just for a fleeting moment. That sense that all is well. Not because of any external circumstances and often in spite of difficult circumstances. Sometimes we have a sense that everything is okay. Often that feeling is just fleeting, But still, it can be a powerful sense of bliss. All is well. And again, it has nothing to do with what we normally think of as things going well. We can have this sense of beatitudo, this sense that all is well when things are not going well and even at their worst. 
Well, unfortunately, English does not have one word for this state or this condition. So translators of the Bible have to pick one or two words for the things that they're translating. They can't use a lot of words to translate one word. So unfortunately, when those who were translating either the Greek or the Latin Bibles into English, and they thought about the people who were in this state, they probably thought, you know, you know what those people are? They're blessed. That's what they are. So whenever they ran across the term beatitudo, they picked the term blessed or blessed. And I say that's an unfortunate translation because the term blessed or blessed has come to mean to us those to whom God shows favor, those who've received good fortune. You hear people say, oh, I've been very blessed with healthy children or a good year. Oh, I feel very blessed. And we generally mean by that that things are going well for us. But again, we've seen that people can have the state that Jesus was talking about when things are not going well. This state of knowing that we have a special place in God's heart and joy and satisfaction and God's favor can come to us precisely at times that we have been stripped of or finally surrendered the illusion that we can take care of ourselves. So the irony is that the sense of bliss, the sense that all is going well, is completely absent sometimes when things are going well and can be most powerfully present to us when things are falling apart. And I hope that that helps make sense of when we hear Jesus saying, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. The second way, I think, to make sense of this passage is the context in which Jesus is preaching. Jesus has with him at this point in Luke's gospel 12 apostles. We're also told at the beginning of today's passage that there's a great crowd of his disciples. Now, we tend to equate those two and think of the apostles and the disciples as the same group of people. But in Luke's gospel, there are 12 chosen apostles, and there's a great crowd of disciples, dozens, maybe even hundreds of Jesus' disciples. And in addition to them, we're told that there are great crowds of people who've come from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastland. So there is this wow factor going on in today's gospel. Jesus is a bit of a rock star. They've come to hear him. They've come to be healed of their diseases. Those who have been troubled with unclean spirits are cured, and and the crowd is pressing in and trying to touch him because power is flowing out from him and healing all of them. So picture a bit of a mob scene with these adoring crowds. And Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, makes a point to place this sermon Not on a mount, not the Sermon on the Mount, but on a plain. So Jesus is not up high looking down at the disciples or the crowds. He's on a level place, and we're told at the beginning of the passage that he looks up at the disciples. It's as if Jesus is saying, don't look up to me. Look up only to God. And that is a consistent theme. 
Jesus will end this sermon by saying, essentially, don't call me Lord, Lord. Do what I say. A little later, in chapter 11 of Luke's Gospel, a woman in the crowd, hearing Jesus teach, will yell out, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. And she's intending a compliment to Mary, his mother. But Jesus deflects it and redirects it. He says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And in chapter 18 of Luke, a young ruler will approach Jesus and say, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. Obey them. So in that sense, in that context, Jesus' sermon on the plain is a kind of a commentary or an unpacking of the passage that we heard read this morning from Jeremiah. That is a passage from Jeremiah that the lectionary pairs with the gospel for very good reason. Jeremiah says, you remember, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals, who make other human beings their strength. Trust in people, you will dry up like a shrub in the desert. On the other hand, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They, people who trust in God, are like trees planted by water. They have a trusted source of hydration, of life. They do not fear when heat comes. They don't get anxious when things dry up. They keep bearing fruit. That, friends in Christ, dear people of all souls, is a good lesson to remember as you go through the transition that you're going through. Your next dean will play a very important role in this faith community, just as your past deans have. In Episcopal Church polity, the rector or the dean does play a critical leadership role. They play this critical leadership role in vision casting and implementation, in liturgy, and even in being the chief face or spokesperson of the church out in the wider community. The role of a dean is very important. And so I hope and I pray that you discern well in choosing your next dean. But there is a temptation that I hope and I pray that you avoid, which is to put too much trust or stock or hope in whoever that person is going to be, to put your trust in mere mortals. Let me be explicit. If you send the message that your next dean needs to be a superhero, all things to all people, you will discourage the candidates you want and deserve from applying. And worse, if you send the message that your next dean needs to be a superhero, all things to all people, you will attract the candidates that you don't want or deserve. 
And here's a good way to remember that. A good way to avoid falling into hero worship while still recognizing the importance of a good leader. It's a scene from the movie Hoosiers. You'll recall that in that movie, Gene Hackman plays coach Norman Dale. He's taking over a small Indiana high school basketball team as its coach. He inherits a team that is small in number, only six, and small in stature. And he starts working with these kids. But from the start, about the only thing the town can talk about is Jimmy Chitwood, the local star, a great basketball player who's been sitting out the season instead of playing. Everyone thinks that if you just get Jimmy to play, all will be well. And that Coach Dale's top priority ought to be not spending so much time with the rest of those players, but in getting Jimmy. Because if we can get Jimmy, all will be well. But Coach Dale, Coach Dale works with the kids he has. And they work on fundamentals. Dribbling, ball handling, passing, and teamwork. And the scene I recall and invite you to remember is the scene where it's the first pep session before the first game. The school is assembled in the gym, and the announcer says, now folks, let's make him feel welcome, our new coach, Norman Dale. And Coach Dale goes to the center of the court, to the microphone, and says, first of all, I'd like to thank those of you who'd made me feel so welcome here. The boys and I are getting to know each other, to see who we are and what can be done. And so far, I like what I've seen. I'm very excited to be part of Indiana basketball. And then he says, this is your team. And out of the locker room come, one by one, these six players, and they play the school pep song, and the crowd is cheering, and each of the kids comes out one at a time and does a layup and then takes their place in the center court, and they face the crowd. And the crowd is cheering. But then someone from the crowd begins to chant, we want Jimmy. And more and more of the crowd joins in. Eventually, it gets louder and louder. We want Jimmy. We want Jimmy. We want Jimmy. Coach Dale goes back up to the microphone. He looks up at the crowd, and he says this. I would hope that you support who we are, not who we are not. These six individuals have made a choice to work, a choice to sacrifice, to put themselves on the line 23 nights in the next four months to represent you, the high school. That kind of commitment and effort deserves and demands your respect. This is your team. Now, as it turns out, Jimmy does join the team. And thanks to his talents working on that team, as a team leader, they do win the state championship. And coming from Indiana, I can tell you, there is no higher priority or better honor than that. But the critical point is, he doesn't 
join that team until he wants to join that team. And part of the reason he wants to join that team is that he knows they are already a team playing well together. A team playing well together to which he can contribute his talents. But they would not be unfairly putting all their trust in him. He didn't want that. He didn't deserve that. And so the more they didn't need him, the more he wanted to join them. People of all souls, I pray and I believe that you will call a great next dean. But the more you don't need your next dean, the more your next dean will want to join you and the better your next dean will be. You are already in good, loving, capable hands with Perrin and Will and Glenda. More importantly, you are already in good, loving, capable hands with Kyle and Kim and Bonnie and Mickey and David and Casey, your staff. And even more importantly, you are in good, loving, capable hands with the 12 vestry members and dozens of ministry leaders and other lay volunteer ministers. Individuals who have made a choice to work a choice to sacrifice, to put themselves on the line day after day and night after night, month after month and year after year. Not just to represent All Souls Cathedral, but who, as the body of Christ alive in the world today, are All Souls Cathedral. Those lay volunteer ministers guided and encouraged and nourished by staff and clergy, are your team. Blessed, favored by God, are they and you. Amen.